Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Today, I, uh, I'm going to just, this is kind of one of those Sundays in between series. So next week, we start a brand new series that's going to carry us through most of the summer, and we're going to look to the book of Revelation. So if you've ever had questions about Revelation, I encourage you to be here this summer. Uh, we're going to call it the Summer 7. We're going to look at some of the churches that are mentioned there in the book of Revelation, the early parts. So we'll start that next Sunday. But today's what we call a standalone sermon. It's kind of in between series. I get to preach whatever I want to preach. It's not uh, specific to the topic there. And so I've wrestled with this really all week long, and I, and I was going to go a couple of different directions and really landed on this direction uh, about the midway of a part of the week and, and really didn't solidify everything that I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart until late yesterday. But uh, how many of you have ever broken a bone? Any bone, you've you broken a bone? I have. Right after I graduated from high school, uh, which was not all that long ago, even though we have a graduate, um, but after I graduated, I was playing in a church softball game. I had finished my high school baseball career, and I was waiting to go to college, and I was playing in a church softball game, and I hit one in the gap, not making this up, hit one in the gap, rounded first, thought, okay, this is an easy double, but the guy made a good play on the ball, he got it, and so he threw it into second. So kind of late in my run towards second base, I thought, uh-oh, I've got a slide. I slid a little too late, hit my ankle up against the bag, and broke my ankle. So I spent the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college in a cast and on crutches. Isn't that the way you want to spend that summer? It was terrible. It was awful. I hated it so much. It felt restrictive, and I couldn't really do all the things that I wanted to do, and and if you've ever worn a cast, like I was trying to just create stuff to slide down there and scratch. And, you know, it was just, it was awful. I hated it so much. But I broke that bone and, you know, it, it definitely healed back right. And, and it, it eventually was, was stronger. And I, I'm thankful for that. But it was really, really painful to experience that break. Like as soon as I hit the bag, I knew that I had broken my ankle. I knew it. And so it was a painful experience. And so I don't want to talk about broken bones today, but I do want to kind of bring all of us around a passage of scripture that, that may not seem to connect to what I was just talking about, but I think will actually drive us towards an understanding about more of the character and nature of God. So if you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 26, which is almost at the end of that book, uh, that, that letter there um, that, that Matthew has written, collection of stories. This is Matthew chapter 26. Beginning in verse 26, it says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of it, all, for, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, about once a month, usually the first Sunday of every month, we as a church community, we take communion. Communion is a, a, a kind of a, a gathering of God's people to take a part in something that is often connected to the Last Supper. So Jesus is in this moment with his followers, and so what we would call communion is often referenced here as the Last Supper. So he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it, and he says, take and eat this bread. It represents my body. Now, he was describing for them something there's absolutely no way they could fully understand because he was still sitting right in front of them. But we know 
from reading the rest of the story that he would later be betrayed, he would later be arrested, he would kind of stand a mock trial, and they would crucify him on a cross, and his body would be broken. He, he would be beaten, and, and even when he was hanging there with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, he would have a spear thrust into his side. And so his body was, was definitely broken, and so he's t- saying to his disciples something there's no way they could fully grasp. Hey, as you eat this bread, which has been broken and served to you, it is a reflection, it is a foreshadowing of the brokenness of my body that's coming on the cross. Then he gives them the cup and he says, I want you to take this. He blesses it. He gives thanks for it. He gives it to them. He says, and this is my blood. Like, so they were drinking and when we come together, we're, we're drinking grape juice in these little cups and, and, and like, it's just this reflection. It's this foreshadowing in this story. It's a remembrance for us of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Now, again, the disciples were sitting there at the table. There's no way they could understand. It doesn't matter how many times he had talked about it in his ministry on the earth in those three years. There's no way they could fully grasp that he was going to be crucified, his body broken, his blood poured out, spilled out, and that that blood would cover the sins of everyone who walked on the face of the earth. Like, there's no way they could grasp it. But we do. But what I want to focus on for a few minutes today is this idea that when Jesus broke the bread and he said to us that this is a reflection of or this is a foreshadowing of the brokenness of his body, it helps us to identify with him if we've ever felt broken at any part of our life. It's not about broken ankles and broken hands and broken fingers, but if you've ever walked through a moment in life where you felt broken emotionally, you felt broken mentally, You've had broken relationships. Like you kind of came to the end of yourself and maybe it looked like puddles of tears, but maybe it was just a a sense of hitting rock bottom. Maybe it was a sense of like, I don't know how I'm going to make it another day. I'm not sure how I get beyond this moment. Whatever that looks like for you, I, I would assume, and it is a big assumption, I would assume that perhaps everybody in the room in some form has experienced some type of brokenness. And what I love about this story, and I say love very specifically, what I love about this story is it's just another example of being able to identify with Jesus Christ. It's another example of how Jesus could identify with us. We, we recognize that he's not this distant and removed kind of figure in the past in a history book, but he is our high priest according to scripture, but he's also one who encountered temptation He was tempted in every way we are tempted. He experienced so much of the sorrow and pain and tragedy that you and I have to walk through in different forms. But when I read that he recognized what was coming before him was a breaking, was a brokenness, and then he willingly submitted his will to the Father's will and go and experience that kind of brokenness, he was saying like, hey, I know what's coming, but so that I can identify with the people that are going to sit together on a Sunday morning in Canton, Georgia on Memorial Day weekend, I've got to experience some breaking so that when they feel broken, I know how they feel. I think that's a powerful picture of what we can see. And sometimes what happens is we tend to think we're the only broken ones. We tend to think that we're the only ones that have ever ever experienced this type of breaking and and heartache and hardship, that everybody else are, they're they're all whole and perfect and unblemished, or maybe they've had some hard times, but they've never really walked through all that we have walked through. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. It says this, it says, our brokenness reveals something about who we are. 
our sufferings and pains are not simply bothersome interruptions of our lives. Rather, they touch us in our uniqueness and our most intimate individuality. The way that I am broken tells you something unique about me. The way that you are broken tells me something unique about you. That is the reason for my feeling very privileged when you freely share some of your deep pain with me. And that is why as an expression of my trust in you when I disclose something to you of my vulnerable side. Our brokenness is always lived and experienced as highly personal, intimate, and unique. When we recognize that other people have experienced or maybe are experiencing brokenness, and we open ourselves up to them to find that common struggle, there's something beautiful that takes place. But what we tend to do is we tend to hide our brokenness. We tend to kind of sugarcoat that part of our story. We tend to glaze over the hurtful details of our past when really those could be the things that create the greatest connection with other people. Those could be the things that God uses to actually help bring us closer in connection with the people around us because when they see that we, our lives are imperfect and that we've walked through pain, we've experienced brokenness, they go, oh, so I'm not crazy. There, there, there are some things that I'm walking through that maybe you could identify with, you could relate to. And when we make ourselves vulnerable to other people, there is this amazing connection that is possible. I love this quote. I've looked for it. I don't know who in the world said it originally, so let's just act like it was me. I've got unknown on the screen, but let's act like that means Jeremy. We should never compare our behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. We know what's happening behind the closed doors of our house. We know the struggles that we have as we're driving in the car, going home from work, when we've heard that they're starting to make personnel cuts and we think we might be on the list and we're not sure what we're going to do next for a job because the skills that we have and the experience that we have and the education that we have, maybe those don't seem to be so sought after anymore and we're not sure how we're going to provide for our family any longer and there's this breaking as we sit in traffic trying to wrestle down like, what are we going to do? And then we just maybe pick up our phone at a stoplight and we see that somebody else that we know got a promotion. We see that somebody else's family seems to have everything going their way. When we see that somebody just finished their last chemo treatment, but we're going to take our family member to the doctor's visit and we're not sure what the report's going to be, but the doctor says it might not be good news. Like we're just comparing our behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel and we don't know what brokenness they've experienced. We don't know what they're walking through. And so sometimes what happens is in our comparison, it actually robs us of joy. It robs us of a sense of God's presence in our pain and in our past. And when we do, we can become bitter, we can become resentful, we can even become angry. But we have to be careful with this because we often attract who we are. Now, I'm, I'm about to say something and, and maybe you'd be mad at me, but just act like Pastor Aaron told me to say this. I, I didn't make this up, okay? We, we, we tend to, I told you I'm loose today. I'm, I'm loose, I'm loose, I'm loose. If we're not careful, we often attract who we are. Now, we like to think that in our tribe, in our circle, we're the healthy one and everybody else is messed up, right? You're laughing because you know it's true. It's like so-and-so, they got so much drama in their life. They're always talking about drama. Well, somehow you've made it okay for them to think that you're comfortable with drama. Hello, right? Not you, other people, other churches. Okay. But like, here's just a few things that I wrote down last night. Critical people often attract critical people. 
So if you are surrounded by people who are always talking critically, you probably need to do like a little bit of self-evaluation in the mirror and go, is there something that I'm doing that's projecting to them that I'm okay with being critical about literally everything in life? Because critical people often attract critical people. Now, let me just say, there is a difference in a critical eye and a critical spirit. I think you should maintain a critical eye. You should always walk into your job and into places and like have a critical eye. How could we make this better? How could we improve? What are the things that I could do, we could do to get better? Like that's a critical eye. A critical spirit is nothing can be done right. Everything is negative and pessimistic and nasty. And critical people often attract critical people. Here's another one. Angry people often attract angry people. I mean, it's easy for us to get in our car and yell about the other angry parents on our travel team, hypothetically, you know. I'm not saying that happened yesterday in our car. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But angry people often attract angry people. If you're surrounded by a bunch of angry people, you probably need to look in the mirror and go, what is it about me that they think it's okay for us to always just be yelling about stuff and just angry about everything? Because angry people often attract, here's another one, broken people often attract broken people. Now, sometimes that can be super healthy, we've been talking about it. But if we gather together in our brokenness just to lament brokenness, and just to blame those who broke us, that can tend to take us towards some unhealthy conversation. But if we come together in our brokenness to help one another heal and to help point one another to the healer, it can be a really powerful, powerful thing. Instead of seeing our brokenness as a bad thing that is to be hidden and resented, what if we saw our brokenness as our story and we embraced it? It would actually require us to look ahead and not just look behind. In a previous season of my life, Pastor Matt Keller was a a strong influence. And, and I remember sitting in an environment one time where he made this statement and I wrote it down and I put it up there exactly how I wrote it down with the extra question marks and exclamation points when he said this, at what point is what's ahead of you worth more than holding on to the pain behind you? At what point is what's ahead of you worth more than holding on to the pain that is behind you? There comes a moment when we have to recognize like that is our story That is how we got to this place. Those were the relationships. Those were the people. That was the job. Those were the places where we took ourselves or consequences came out of the things that we did or or through unknown reasons like we couldn't even have grasped how we got to that place. But that's not the end of our story. And so we've got to keep moving forward and keep looking ahead and say, God, what is it that is out before me? What is it that's ahead of me? What purpose do you have in my future that I might could use what was in my past? I got to recognize that there could be purpose in the pain. I, I told you earlier that you and I aren't the only broken ones. Jesus himself was broken. And I referenced this already when I was talking about that last supper moment where he broke the bread and he said, this is my body. But it wasn't just physical pain. He did that at a table where one of his 12 closest friends was about to walk out of that room and betray him. Like we glaze over that fact. We just kind of read through the story and we go, okay, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, Judas, all right, got it. But I mean, like this is real human relational dynamics taking place. 
like a really, really close friend, like the person in your group on the job. You do all the projects together, like you're both potentially up for the job, and they say to you, like, hey, I'm going to recommend you. You've got more experience. And then you find out they lied, and they went and did something else. Like, that's not exactly the same, but like that kind of betrayal, a spouse who committed to love you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and then they betrayed the covenant relationship that you all committed to yourselves in front of God and everybody, betrayal. Like, Jesus understands brokenness. He understands what it means to to be betrayed. He understands, according to the story of Lazarus, what it means to lose someone that you care deeply about, even though he knew he had the power to raise him from the dead, which he did. Jesus wept, John 11. And so we just, we understand, like, he understands brokenness. In the chapter after what we just read in Matthew 26, you come to Matthew 27. That's the way numbers work, 26, 27. The next chapter over, you see this, again, kind of the the, the arrest of Jesus and the the trial of Jesus, and he stands before Pilate and these same people who had kind of been praising him at the beginning of the week. Those are the people that eventually now are kind of mocking him and and screaming and yelling at him. And, And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus, who was hanging on the cross, He cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now in almost every single English translation, that original text is included in original form. That's not always the case. As you're reading through scripture, it's been translated into English. And let me just remind you, I kind of come to this point about three times a year. The Bible was not originally written in English, all right? It wasn't originally written in the King James, and so it was in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and scholars over the years have taken those various translations, those various original texts, and translated it into English and other languages around the world so that we could have the gospel available to us in the language that we can read. But you come to a verse like this, and you have English, and then you have this Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani. Why would that be included? Why is it important? Why couldn't they just say, and he said with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what happens in so many other places in scripture. And so let me just tell you what my opinion is. This is my opinion. I think there are scholars that I've, I've studied and read that, that do believe this is possible. But my opinion is, instead of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's important for us to hear the emotion in Jesus's voice as he hangs there. He hangs there in this broken state, seemingly forsaken, experiencing physical pain, looking down and seeing emotional pain, relational betrayal right in front of him with his eyes. And he cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima Sabachthani. There's emotion. You ever just cried out to God? Like he's not insulted by that. He's not upset when you feel emotion and you question him and you ask why and you don't understand what's taking place. Like, he's okay with those questions. Like, God, why am I here? How did I get to this place? What's taking place in my life? Like, I didn't do this on my own. Why did they say those things about me? Why did they do those things? There's this emotion that is so rich in this text. And I think in these words, we see the emotion of broken Jesus on the cross. 
which to me doesn't make him a flawed savior. It makes him a relatable savior. It makes him someone that I can pray to with confidence that he understands. When he says something like, Dad, Father, why aren't you here to protect me? Like, where are you at? Why am I alone in this? Is anybody out there? Maybe your words are different to describe your brokenness. But here's a few that you may have asked at some point in your life. Why am I always sick and hurting? Physical pain, perhaps. Maybe a question like, how could someone do something like that to me? Past or present abuse. Maybe a question like, why do I keep falling in love with the wrong people? Neglect and loneliness, maybe. Why do the people who say they love me keep leaving me? Abandonment. How can people say and do such mean things? Words of hurt. Why can't I do anything right? A sense of failure. I was hoping this would feel so much better. Unmet expectations. Your broken words may not be Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani, but you have broken words. And so did Jesus. And I think that that's the part of what he's saying to his disciples when he breaks bread and he tells them, like, every time you break this bread, remember that I was broken too. Every time you come to a moment of reflection and remembrance, remember that I know how it feels. He's not some figment of our imagination. He's not just a character in a storybook. He is the expression of God in physical form who experienced what you and I experience so that he knows what we feel so that we know he understands. And the only way to be made whole in our brokenness is to identify with Christ's own brokenness. You can try all on your own to do it, but brokenness is made whole in a Jesus who was broken too. Our brokenness is made whole in a Jesus who was broken too. I told you that after my senior year, I broke my ankle. My wife, Corey, also had a break. She's actually had a couple of breaks. She's tougher than me. That wasn't funny. She's tougher than me. We've had four kids. If I was in charge of that, we would have had one right? Um, but like, she's tougher than me. But when a few years ago, after we, after we had a few of our kids, we, she was at McDonald's one day in the little play area. They don't really do those much anymore, but in the play area, there was like a slide. And one of the kids was coming down the slide. And as she was trying to catch him and she had the other kids there, he hit her nose. Exactly. And so she knowing her body said, oh yeah, my nose is broken. What did I do like a loving husband? No, probably not. Probably like a bad bruise. Like it's gonna, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's, It's not, surely it's not broken. And so we didn't really do anything for it. And it healed broken. A few years ago, she went to the doctor and they were like, do you know your nose is broken? 
She was like, would you say that louder for the husband in the back, right? She was like, yes, I knew my nose was broken, but we didn't do anything about it. And so it, it healed kind of broken. So it causes issues breathing. And like, there's still some things that aren't completely right. And so they, the doctor said, hey, we can fix it. I was like, let's do that. Let's fix it now. I mean, I missed my moment back then, but let's do it now. And the doctor said, well, here's the only way to fix it. We got to re-break it. I was like, let's not do that. Let's not, let's not do that. The only way to heal a break is to re-break it if it didn't heal right the first time. And some of us in our lives, something got broken way back there. When you were a kid, a teenager, a young adult, at some point you have experienced the kind of brokenness that we're talking about and you just buried it. You tried to deal with it on your own. You tried to heal up on your own. You tried to fix it. You might've talked to some folks, but you never really allowed for the time and the process and the Lord to do the healing work that was necessary. And so you just walk around with this kind of out of shape, broken thing that didn't quite ever heal right. And it could be that if you really want healing, God's gotta do some breaking away in your life. Not to cause you more pain, but it might, because he's gotta break off that resentment that you've been carrying and that bitterness that you've been carrying. He's gotta break off the hurt and discouragement that you've been carrying that kind of healed around it, the scar tissue that's there that was like, man, I just, I'm not gonna tell anybody. I'm gonna hold this bitterness in. I'm never gonna forgive. I'm and so he may have to break some of those things off of you to heal it right. But here's the difference. The, the people potentially, probably, most likely, the people that caused you that kind of hurt, the people that caused you that kind of break, they, they might have been intentionally or unintentionally so trying to hurt you. But God's healing work is about restoring you. It's about healing and making you whole again. When we bring our brokenness to him, he does what is only absolutely necessary for wholeness and healing. And as I was praying for you last night, maybe, maybe you've been listening to this, you're like, hey, this was, this was great. Appreciate you telling me you broke your ankle, your wife broke her nose. This doesn't really relate to where I'm living right now. That's okay. Because almost as confident as I've ever been when I take the stage, I know that there are some of you that are in the room right this second. And like you've been walking through this for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, or unfortunately, maybe for decades. Because it broke you. It broke you. And you didn't know how to talk about it. You didn't know what to do with it. You didn't know who to take this to. But you've been carrying around the scars of brokenness. And maybe you knew it and forgot it, or maybe you've never heard these words. But when Jesus took the bread in advance of the cross, and he blessed it and he broke it. He said, this is to show you that I will be broken too. So that when you're broken, I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like. You are not alone today. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. 
So I encourage you to do two things. In a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to do something we rarely ever do. I'm going to ask you when I give the chance for prayer, that if you've experienced in your past or even now in your present, you've experienced brokenness, I'm going to ask you just to stand where you are. You don't have to stand yet. I'm not going to make you step out. I'm not going to make you come forward, but I'm just going to ask you to stand up. And that takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. But I promise you, you will not be the only person that's standing in this room. I give you my word. You're not going to be the only one standing. And there's going to be some commonality that you experience as you stand in a room of other people that start standing up. And it could be that in that moment, God starts to do a healing work in you. But the second thing that I'm going to encourage you to do happens outside of this room at some point later today or even this week. I want you to share what you've experienced with somebody else. Not everybody needs to know your junk, but somebody needs to know your junk. You need to share with somebody like, hey, this is what I experienced. This was my hurt. This was my pain. This is what I'm walking through right now. And I don't even know how I'm going to make it to the other side, but I'm asking God to do something. And I just want you to pray with me. And it could be that God just aligns your path with somebody else. And when you start telling that story, they've got a story that they can tell that encourages you and strengthens you. I encourage you to share your story this week. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we start. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head right where you're at. I'm going to make it as easy as I can, but I believe this is the response that's required today. Nobody's looking around. Every head's bowed. Everybody's eyes are closed. In a moment, they may see you, but it's not going to be right this second. And if you would say, at some point in my past, or maybe even right this very second, I have experienced brokenness, pain, heartache, hurtful things, and I need the Lord to heal me. If that's you, would you just stand up right now where you're at? Just have the courage to do so. You're not standing by yourself. There's a ton of people that have already stood up. You're not by yourself. There's a ton of people already standing Just stand right where you're at. I'm going to wait. I know there's some of you, you're wrestling with it right now. You don't know if you can. You don't know if you should. Just stand up right where you're at. I'm going to wait just another minute or so. You can go ahead and stand up. You can trust us, I promise. We're not going to use this against you. Nobody's going to judge you and think something's wrong with you. There's commonality in this struggle. Anybody else before we pray? All right, now I want everybody in the room to look at me. Everybody look at me. There's a ton of people standing. And if you're seated, sitting near someone who is standing, I encourage you maybe just kind of reach over and lay your hand on their shoulder. Maybe you stand up in just a second and put your arms around them if you know them. If you don't know them, maybe you ask their name. And we're going to pray for everybody in the room. I want everybody in the room to have somebody praying with them as I pray for us. All right? So right now, go ahead and move. Go ahead and move. Go ahead and move. Get close. Just just lay your hands on somebody's shoulder. Turn around. Maybe they they might even be sitting right behind you. We're just going to pray together that God would heal brokenness and heal hurts. I want to make sure everybody's got somebody. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. And we thank you, God, that there is incredible strength in numbers. And we are not alone. We're not by ourselves. We recognize that the enemy would like to make us think that nobody else knows what we're going through and nobody else can relate. But God, there is incredible strength in numbers. And the people that are standing in this room, the people that have experienced hurt and pain and brokenness, God, that's in their past. It may be in their present, but that does not have to be their future. 
because they have a high priest, they have a savior, they have a loving heavenly father who can identify with their brokenness because Jesus Christ was broken too. So God, we thank you that you allowed the son to be broken so that he could understand, he could feel what we're feeling right now. And God, I pray that every single person who stood and those who desired to stand and those watching online who've experienced this before, God, that they would find wholeness in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We believe that you are able. We believe that you are more than enough. And Lord, it may require us to go see a counselor and to talk some things out, a Christian counselor that can dig into our soul and ask the right questions. And God, we believe in that. And if that's the case, I I pray they would take that step. But God, I pray right now that they would feel right this very moment, your presence and a comfort knowing that you are near. And I pray for healing and wholeness for every single person under the sound of my voice right now in the strong and powerful and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. I encourage you, tell somebody this week what you've experienced. And we just put our hands together and thank God today. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.